Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. There you go. How are you, sir? I'm doing very, very well. We have some exciting news that we were going to be talking about soon. Uh, we do have a third faculty member who is supposed to be joining us. They are running a little bit late. That's probably why they're in detention. Uh, but we are going to go ahead and get started because we're not exactly sure when he's going to be joining. Um, so I'll start with the big news. Um, we were nominated for an any. Again! Again! Yay! That's two years in a row! Fireworks and confetti and explosions. We're going to get to lose to Ken and Robin twice in a row. How awesome That's, is that? It's, it's, it's good to be number three through five. It is! I already have the t-shirt. I just got to change the number. <laughs> I'll do like to do like when you have a quarterback that like does bad and they put in the... Uh, the backup quarterback and people just like cross out the numbers on the back of their jersey. <laughs> I'll just I'll take a sharpie and change the two hundred six to uh, two hundred one seven would be fine. Or or uh, a sharpie add like through oh. two thousand seven, right? Oh, there you go. Because yeah, that would be even better. Uh-huh. Um, but that's that is super exciting for us. Oh, and hello, we have our third faculty member, Eric. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. I was uh, just sharing with Scott and, I don't know, potentially an audience because I can't see that, uh, that we were nominated for an Emmy again this year and how exciting that was. Yes, congratulations. Thank you very much. I am really ecstatic. Uh, You know, I didn't expect to get a nomination last year. It was just kind of a flash in the pan, like, you know, like whatever, just for some laughs, I'll throw us on there. Uh, And then we got that nomination and we we knew we were not going to win, but we thought we had a chance at second. Turns out we didn't. Um. But then I never, never would have thought that we would get a nomination again. And then on top of that, the very next year. So that's, I'm excited. I'm, you know, again, so, so now I'm scrambling because I had already made out my schedule for Gen Con. And I have events that run right up until 8, which is when the Emmy starts. And then I'm doing a panel on podcasting at 9. So I have to get to the Emmys between 8 and 9. Hopefully they do that category between that time and then rush out to do my podcasting panel i figure if i walk in 15 minutes late when i'm carrying in any i'll be okay with that yeah very likely <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's most of our big news uh the other thing that i will mention uh again if you've been on social media you're probably already aware of this um over vacation i was talking to the wife about future plans and about finances and all kinds of stuff and uh we had quote unquote, a real conversation about Patreon and about our 
our podcast and our show. And essentially the wife has said that if we can get our Patreon up to $2,000 a month, which is a long way from here, but it's in the realm of possibility, that I could quit my job and do this full time. So I am going to be working toward trying to build that Patreon, doing some things that might get more people enticed. Um, you know, at this point, we have more than 2,000 regular listeners. So if everybody donated $1, I'd be there tomorrow. Um, obviously, I'm not going to quit my job tomorrow, even if we get to $2,000. But, you know, if we look like we're sustaining that amount for a while, then I could stop working in my job, do this full-time podcasting event coordination with a catacon, probably do some additional shows and things that, you know, do more YouTube stuff, more Twitch stuff. So it's it's kind of a pie-in-the-sky pipe dream, but it's at least there, and it's something we're going to work towards. So I'm pretty excited about that. So if you haven't already looked at our Patreon, please go take a look or listen or whatever. It's at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. Uh, literally, if everybody who listens to our show, not this one, but the regular shows, uh, donated $1 a month, $12 a year, that would be life-changing money for me. So... With all that out of the way, I'll go to Scott. Scott, uh, extracurricular, what have you been up to? Oh, um, I've been looking for uh, a, a new short-term apartment that comes <laughs> furnished because this old short-term apartment that comes furnished, I can no longer rent. So uh, after, uh, well, you know, I got I got six weeks here is all I reserved, right? And then somebody else has it after that, right? So now I get to get to move and do it all over again. Oh, that's living awful. out of a suitcase. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, uh, but other than that, things going well? How's the job? Uh, is Jenny acclimated? Uh, I, I, I think so. She's enjoying the patio right now for as long as we have the patio. Um, uh, job's going well. I, I have yet to decisively break anything or uh, ruin anything, right? Uh, of course, I consider that a sign that I'm not working enough, right? Because yeah. if, if, if you're not breaking stuff, then, then what are you doing, right? No, are are you even here? Did you, you have to leave come your mark in? somewhere. That's right. So I need to really try harder and push myself until I break at least something, even little things. That'd be good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's going, uh, moving along, I think. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. This is uh, your first time on Detention, I believe. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so anyone who isn't familiar with Eric already, he is uh, the producer at Honcho of Openly Gamer Theater, a show on the RPG Academy Network. Uh, formerly of Gamer's Table. He may still be more famous for that, but that's slowly changing. And you also do <laughs> Trench Monkey, which is like a military-focused uh, RPG Slack podcast. Yes. So yeah. Uh, three uh, three military vets who sit around and uh, talk about role-playing games from a, a vet perspective. Very, very cool. So, Eric, so the, the way we normally start off these detentions is with uh, extracurricular. And this is just the stuff that we're doing somewhat tangentially related to podcasting, but doesn't have to be. It can be whatever you want to talk about. So what have you been up to the last few weeks or so? Uh, well, I have been, uh, for the most part, I've been working on um, trying to finally get my novel off the ground. I've been tinkering with it for quite a while, uh, story-wise and things like that. So I've decided that... Uh, I'd kicked around the idea of maybe writing it as a screenplay or um, whatnot. So I finally locked in on I'm going to do it as a as an actual full novel now. So that's uh, that's been tying up a lot of my time. I've been doing a lot of editing of uh, of other projects. I've got a Openly Gamers got a uh, actual play that we did 
for a game called We Used to Be Friends, which is a um, teen <clears throat> sleuth game in the vein of uh, Veronica Mars. So that one should be, I'm, I'm doing the full production with that with voice actors for NPCs and things like that. So um, I should be getting the audio back from the actors here probably in the next week or so. So that'll probably be in about two weeks. Um, and I am also starting another show that uh, will be probably recording every other week with a couple of uh, Gamers Table cast, uh, but we're going to be talking about more than just games. We're going to talk about other like movies and books and things like that, too. So, oh, Very, very cool. Uh, Scott, uh, we have anybody in chat talking to us or watching? No, we don't. It's just the three of us. Well, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, I wanted to ask if anybody could tell us how the stream is performing. Uh, I have my little monitor up here, and I, it shows our CP usage at 1.1%, but there's like a little bar that's flashing between green, yellow, and red based on how much our kilobytes are. So I'm hoping that that means we're doing okay. It might be. Who knows? <laughs> well, we'll find out sooner or later. Um, so extracurricular out of the yes, way. Yes, we are doing okay. Oh, perfect. Uh, well, the extracurricular out of the way, we, uh, what are we drinking, gentlemen? I, uh, as usual, have water because I'm a Tito. <laughs> I'm uh, drinking uh, red wine. I think this is a, uh, oh, like a something. <laughs> it's, it's, it came out of a box. I don't. I don't remember what type of wine it is, aside from red and cheap. But I've I've heard it's better for you than than beer, and so I'm trying to switch. It's like you know, doctors encourage you to have like a glass of wine a day, right? So, right? Some, yeah. some at some point they did, maybe. I think some point I in think history. that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still a thing. Oh, it's hey, we 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 do have apparently somebody in chat. Dirty Habanero remarks oh. that uh, it's like a yummy juice box. Oh. Which it is. There you go. It's just <laughs> really expired juice. <laughs> All right. And then, Eric, I know, you, again, you're probably new to this, but are you drinking anything? Uh, well, right now I'm drinking iced tea, but uh, I just finished um, a fuzzy navel. So, um, see, I don't I don't drink um, anything heavy. I always drink fruity drinks. So, now my, uh, my drink of choice is a virgin banana daiquiri. <laughs> but uh, don't have any of those right now, so we're with water. I also will drink L8s on occasion, but uh, those are over there. I keep forgetting that I put them in the freezer and then they explode, um, and I have to clean them up. <laughs> I, I, I've had an exploded L8 in this downstairs refrigerator for going on two years. I just refuse to clean it up at this point. Like, whatever. Maybe you just need to, like, freeze the glass, I think. Well, I, I drink it from the bottle because it's actually you have to drink it from the bottle or it loses the taste. Like I, I have all these weird, like um, things I have to do with LA. It's like they have to be it's very ritualized yes. beverage consumption. So they they have to be in the refrigerator for at least twenty four hours, and the longer is better, but a minimum of twenty four hours. Then they go into the freezer, and, th and they have to be in the freezer between fifteen and twenty two minutes, depending on which freezer. Except when you forget about them because you're downstairs trying to do stuff in your basement. And like two hours later, you're like, oh, I never did get that. You walk over there and it's just effing everywhere. So L8 <laughs> uh, in a can is awful. L8 poured into a like a cup with ice. Not good. Only straight from the bottle. It's the only way to go. I have to admit, I don't even know what an L8 is. 
it's like an L7 or an L9, but kind it's of just between. between in between. That's, yeah, exactly, right. It's, yeah. A, um, it's a Kentucky soft drink. It's only made in one small bottling plant in Winchester, Kentucky. Uh, it's a ginger ale type, but it's very sweet, which is why I like it. Um, and it comes in a green bottle, and the name is actually Ale 8, and then 1 spelled out. But it's sort of, tra- if you say it in Kentucky Speeds, it's a late one. Uh, and the rumor is that it has a lot of caffeine. Like, I don't know if that's ever been proven, but word on the street is it has a lot of caffeine, supposed to give you a boost of energy, keep you up. Um, in Kentucky, it's it's the gaming drink of choice, at least within the groups that I hung out with. Um, so I kind of keep that up when I when I run games or play games. I try to have that. That's sort of my drink of choice. If I don't have virgin daiquiris. That's fascinating. I, I, that, that could be an entire topic all on itself is regional gaming drinks because there's regional gaming drinks here. Oh, so. That was- <laughs> all right. So we'll move into our second topic. And this is 10 things. And this is one of our improv games that uh, Scott and Matt have forced upon us. If you've never played 10 things before, you'll get a topic and you have to come up with 10 of those things. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Scott, how about you lead us off uh, asking me? All right. All right. Uh, Michael, <coughs> Yes. 10 things that uh, you would find in a the back of a hobbit's dresser drawer. In, in back of the what? Back of a hobbit's dresser drawer, uh, like shoved in the back. Uh, a feet comb. One foot, foot comb, feet comb. Yeah, one of those things. Um, a, a waistcoat that's just for the waist. Two. Uh, a large umbrella. Three. The one ring. Four. <laughs> um, a uh, <laughs> a portal to Narnia because you know cross pollination. Um, mm-hmm. Banana daiquiri mix. <laughs> the secret formula to L eight one. Party invites that are blank. Eight. Um, uh, Will and ink for calligraphy. Nine. And a screenplay review of the Lord of the Rings movies. Ten. Those are ten things. Those are ten things. (laughs) All right. Um, So, Eric, what are ten things? I'm sorry, sorry. What are 10 titles that your book might be called? Ooh, okay. Um, the, the Black Heart Gym. One. One. And they don't have to be accurate, truthful at all. They just okay. make up anything. Yeah. The, okay. The, just off the, the top the, of my head. It's, 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 it's an improv exercise. Sure. Yeah. So, so the yeah. quicker, the better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, tales of a complete bastard. Two. Um, uh, how not to die and how to do it well. Three. Um, finding your inner self or someone close to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, the the eye that isn't the eye. Five. Um. Two girls and a lich. <laughs> um, the man who never wore underwear. Seven. Seven. Um, a priest and a swordmaster go into a bar. Eight. Eight. Um, where to walk and where not to step. Nine. Nine. And 
the eye of a seal. Ten. Yay. Ten. Those are ten, ten things. And now you will ask Scott. <laughs> okay. Um, ten things that a wizard would jot in the margins of his journal. Uh, the true name of his pillow. One. A, uh, a, a formula for hair replacer. Two. <laughs> Where he parked his uh, magical broom. Three. Uh, the, 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 like the sending number of the girl he met at the bar. Four. The, uh, the, the exact size of pants that he ripped so he doesn't get that same size again. Five. The, uh, the arcane symbols that, that, that represent how he wishes his name were, were written, even though everyone just writes it freehand. Six. <laughs> um, uh, so, sort of, uh, uh, acute caricatures of him beating up his schoolyard bullies. Seven. Uh, a, a, a cute character of, of him in top of the pile of treasure. Eight. An arcane mark, so that uh, you know he he doesn't lose his journal. Nine. And a, a permanent symbol of insanity, so that other people don't read his journal. And uh, nice. Those are ten things. <laughs> <Hey. clears throat> righty, so now it's time to move into used books. And this is where we take a look back at a campaign that may or may not have failed spectacularly. And like any good used book, we want to check those margins for notes, much like that Wizard's Journal, uh, to see if there's anything that we can glean from it and maybe make things go a little bit better next time around. Uh, Eric, uh, you said you were going to cover used books tonight. You have a, a campaign that you played in the past. Again, failing spectacularly is optional. Uh, that was an evil campaign. Uh, yes. And that's something Caleb and I talked about fairly recently. So interested to see sort of so what was the setup for that? Uh, how did it eventually end? And then if you had to do that over again, were there any changes you would make so that the next version would go a little better? Right. Um, it was a um, Star Wars campaign where the players were all uh, either affiliated with the Sith or were Sith themselves. It was uh, set in the Old Republic. So, um, newfangled republic for you. Yeah, none of that. No, no. Um, it, we used the um, the saga edition of Star Wars, so it was a point by system. Um, which the the way it went was the player characters. Three of the player characters were uh, actively Sith. They were Sith apprentices, and then the other two were attached to them like independent contractors. Um, and the, the idea was that they were to go for a specific goal set in motion by their master. Uh, because this was of course before uh, Darth Bane's uh, rule of two and all that stuff. So, you know, you'd have um, an academy of, of teachers and they would send um, apprentices out to do things. So, they had to get along for the most part because they were being directed. Um, it uh, did quickly degenerated into uh, a lot of infighting and uh, posturing and to, and then finally they were uh, the independent contractors got so tired of <clears throat> having to deal with these moody Sith that they finally just uh, betrayed them to the Jedi. <laughs> just desserts. Yes. <laughs> So, so is, 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 is it a tautology that, that 
the problem is I've, I've been trying to run good campaigns. The characters all end up rolling evil. If you run an evil campaign, the characters inevitably roll good because <laughs> just, just to be different. Is that they, like, yeah, we, we got so tired of each other that we ended up just saving the, the rebellion. It's just, <laughs> well, in, in a way it, it kind of worked out that way. It was uh, because you're never going to have hundred percent buy-in. When it comes to you know your the players or not everybody wants to play the evil bastard and everybody has their own idea of what evil really is, so mm-hmm. you know it, it, inevitably you're going to have the one who just feels horrible for all the bad stuff that everybody's doing. So then you know instead of the bad guy betraying the good group, it, we had the the opposite happen. So it was rather interesting. It, it, it was not a long lived campaign and there's no way in hell we'd ever go back to it um because i mean those characters would just never I mean, you would have to make completely different characters but um my the the biggest challenge for me is always when you ever especially if you have uh, either a mixed group of of morality or uh an all evil group is how do you keep them in line how do you how do you keep them from just completely self-destructing and the one thing that i found and and it's something i haven't used very much but uh is especially with a point by system um you have the have the players make multiple characters and say you know um i'm gonna have you make three characters this time and let's say we're using a point by system and we're going to use the old uh saga edition where i think 25 points was high, but you bump it up a little bit, make it 35 points. And you say, okay, make a 35 point character, make a 25 point character, make a 20 point character. And if, if, if you don't do what the master says, the master is going to gank your 35 point character. And now you've got to play your 30 point character and you follow through with that threat basically as an inciting incident. And waste one of the characters flat out and say, this is what happens when you disobey or you back talk. So, um, you just do that. You get to the evil overlord thing where they, they, they go back and they deliver bad news. And then just to be pithy, the, the BBEG, like stone cold executes the, the leader of the bad guy team. Oh yeah. And now number yeah. two is responsible. And they send them back out to the exact same mission again. Like one right. person down. Yeah, Bob gun. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, also, is to have either by the 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 Lord or whoever is is uh, organizing the mission, or through the players themselves, have them designate somebody to be the leader, and that person is responsible for failure. <laughs> and that, a lot of the you know, it's hard to make role playing game players afraid of anything. It's, and it's hard to motivate them through because I mean, how many times has it happened? You, you know, uh, you have this like awesomely, you know, awesome concept for a bad guy and he's, he's going into his monologue and you're getting, you know, fart jokes and you're getting, you know, all this other stuff that, that they don't, they don't respect the bad guy. There's never a respect, hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, if you actually put the fear of, you know what, I may not get to play my cool character if I, you know, if I step over the line, you know, it, uh, it adds an interesting wrinkle to it. And I would only do that with, uh, with an evil campaign though. I would never do that with like a good campaign because, Mm -hmm. you know, because evil is evil characters are in, in, by their nature are completely selfish. Right. So, um, most adventurers are too. (laughs) I mean, even true. So, you know, we've talked on our show several times and we recently did an episode on a faculty meeting. I've not had a lot of luck with running 
like one evil person in, in the campaign sort of situation. Uh, part of that probably was just the maturity level of the people I was playing with. I got a bad taste in my mouth. I've never, never felt the desire to go back to that. But we talked about if we were going to do that, how we would do it. And I definitely think you need everyone to be evil. But having the one evil person just doesn't work for me. But if you're all evil, I think that you can work towards that. And I really like what you talked about where like one person's in charge. They're the team leader. And if things go bad, they're the ones that's going to get killed. So they have investment to make sure that people, A, listen, and two, they succeed on the mission. I could see that as a fun sort of meta way to instill that fear that it's so hard to actually instill in a game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, on a completely different campaign I had once run, um, I I did kind of the same thing, but (laughs) the person put who was put in charge, the player themselves is super arrogant and cocky. And we knew going in that he was going to mouth off to, the boss and this uh it was a school and the it was like it was an adventurer school and the uh the the boss um it was this was uh fifth edition D D. um it you know these characters were what third fourth level and this is a high level boss you know not like a boss fight but you know the they're in charge of this adventurer school and he mouthed off and he the, the character grabs a book and pow Waste the the character and goes right to death saves. He makes his first. He fails his first death save, makes his second death save. So while he's laying there, the NPC hits him with the book again, <laughs> initiating his death saves again. So you know, it, and after that point, the rest of the player characters absolutely feared that headmaster. They would not. They if they heard the headmaster was even in the same building, they would run away. You know, yeah, there's there, there's nothing that will terrify players more than uh, um, uh, pr- at least in fifth edition that I found that, that other than than presenting them with with opponents that are so vicious that you will run them in such a way that they will uh, melee you when you're bleeding out, right? Like, oh, I'm in melee range and you're unconscious, so I'm at critical, and since it's an automatic hit, it's a critical, and since it's a critical, you just get two failed saves. Good luck on that third save. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Right. Yeah, I'm still going to be here next round. That's 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 a really firm way to be like, nope, you guys better take this. Now, I think the the, uh, the most recent experience I had with an evil game was a one shot. This was a couple years ago at Gen Con. A friend of the show, Randy, who actually eventually or recently kickstarted this uh, module called Of Drow Origin. It was a one shot, and everyone in the party plays Drow, and everybody's basically working against each other. And I think that type of game works really well in the one-shot format because you don't have to worry about holding things over. If your character dies, you're not really that invested. You know, you're going to be only playing for three or four hours anyways. And that was a great experience. But I, I just don't know that I could sustain as a player or as a GM a campaign. I don't know. Maybe it's just my sensibilities. Like, I still feel like when you play D&D, you're playing the heroes. You know, even if you're the the you know the gray heroes, Firefly ish, you're still the good guys. At the end of the day, you're going to try to do the right things, and you know that's just maybe it's just my hang up, but that's just the way I feel. Yeah, it's it's all about maintaining motivation, right? So it, it, if you can't maintain a a motivation for uh, it, it has to be uh, with especially with evil characters, it has to be a story motivation. 
It has to be a reason for them to con- continue on. And that usually means that the, the bad guy they're facing is so much worse than they are. Um, and, and as horrible as that sounds, because, you know, if you have a group of five murder hobos, <laughs> what's worse than that? But, you know, you've got to come up with, with something like that or some other reason why they would stay together and not, you know, completely implode for the long run. I mean, yeah. short, short term, sure. But yeah, yeah, for the long run. And I think that goes back to what you're talking about, like defining evil. You know, are you innocent people killing, you know, just awful, vicious people for no reason? Or are you just criminals that, you know, steal from people and you know, you're the ones that rob a bank and you don't care if it ruins someone's pension, but you're not necessarily going to shoot that same person in the face. If we're just like a, you know, or a criminal organization that does, you know, runs illegal operations and there's, there's stuff that happens with there, it's easier because we're all in it for the same profit. You know, if one person just randomly kills somebody, that's going to get the heat on us. And now our financially viable underground gambling casino, it may get shut down or we got to pay extra bribes to somebody. You know, it's still like there's like a function to it and there's an order and a structure rather than lawful like evil. randomly just murdering people for no reason. Yeah, I, I've I love evil alignments, but but mostly what I what I uh, mean when I say that is really what I love is lawful evil. I love uh, presenting characters. You know, uh, I love putting parties with like paladins in that position where they they have a lawful evil NPC who will absolutely help them out and make a bargain and stick to it because it aligns with their wishes as well, right? And the paladin's forced to kind of go along with it or dump the party and put the the quest at risk, right? And I also love. Um, playing a lawful evil PC who has uh, a, a, like a reason to be with the party, right? And, and like makes a bargain and sticks to it. And then uh, it's just kind of also evil on the side, but that's independent of I'm sticking to the party first because there's, right, I've written some backstory or something. There's a fundamental reason I am here. And you also, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, you have examples like Doc Holliday, uh, even, you know, depending on if you watch the movie Young Guns, Billy the Kid, where you're evil, possibly psychotic, but you have loyalty to, to people or a person and you would not betray that. So like if your friend is a lawman, okay, I'll help you go, you know, whatever. But tomorrow I'm going to gank some dude over a poker table because I'm just in a bad mood. You know, you can do those types of things and make it work. But sometimes I think it comes across as trite and it's harder to pull off in a game where you have to give spotlight time to that person to do the things that, aren't involving everyone else but i don't know just again i don't know that it's worth that effort but maybe to someone who wants to play that type of game it is yeah it's it, it is hard to to split up that time and it's hard it gets you get the old trope of you know oh the paladin was combing his horse while i was doing this or you know whatever <laughs> you know yeah. the, the paladin takes the druid for a walk <laughs> right you know while while we do our evil stuff right so i mean and that uh, yeah like you said it's trying it gets it gets really old and it's like you know the the paladin obviously isn't a moron he's going to figure this stuff out i uh, mm-hmm. i like uh what I like is not just maybe a morality, but more of a uh, uh, obligation. <laughs> um, my favorite uh, example of why would somebody put up with an evil character in the group if they weren't all evil um, is Karaman and Raceland because they're brothers and family ah. comes before anything. 
And so even it, it, Raceland is an, is a completely evil character, but yet his brother always says, you know what, he, he, there's, there's good in him. I know there is, and, and I can, or I can change him or, you know, the, 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 the delusions of, of people, you know, forever who look for the good in the people just because they just hope it's there. Hmm. And yeah, I think I, in that kind of a dynamic in a group, especially if you're, if the person's saying no, there's good in him is your big fighter or, or your healer, you know, <laughs> Hey, there's good in my brother. You can't, you know, he may be, you know, maybe doing shady stuff, but you know what? I think, you know, he just had, he's a victim of circumstance or he's just, you know, you know, he's sick or whatever. Well, yeah, I think that's my favorite. To, to kind of turn on that, uh, think about the way the incredible Hulk is portrayed in the, the Avenger movies, particularly the second one. Like hmm. this thing is, is, a you know, destructive force of nature but if we can aim it at the bad guys that's great <laughs> but it doesn't always work that way you know and so it's, right. it's sort of like you said it's like you know maybe the barbarian is evil but the barbarian will kill 15 goblins before we draw our swords keeps us alive maybe we can counteract you know keep keeping him or keep her just this side of the line but it's well, redeemed them. Wait, I, I, I can use the ring to do good yeah, absolutely. Why can't we use the, the the weapon of the enemy against the enemy? That always mm-hmm, works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. So, so I I feel like the, the general theme we're getting is is that while evil campaigns may bring it to the fore, uh, all campaigns work better if you have uh, if if you start with really motivating cohesion, right? Uh, either either story or narrative driven reasons why characters stay with other characters, or story narrative driven reasons why the characters are all doing this, staying with the same quest or the same group. Or, or they're loyal to it, either each other or a common uh, thread, right? And you, Caleb and I have had this conversation a couple different times where he, he feels, and I, I'm trying to speak for him, and I apologize if I don't state his side correctly, but he likes the sort of natural, organic merging of the, the team. You know, you start the traditional, you're walking down the road, goblins attack, so you all work together. I am just like, you guys all know each other. We're going to, we're session zero. You, you know, you, and you know him and he knows her. You're already friends. We're just not going to deal with that. And, yeah. and I know that takes away some of that organic feel, but it just keeps bad things from happening. You know, you just, you don't have those issues and you can do the same thing with a bad group. You're all evil, but you're going to work together. So figure that out before we even roll the first die. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I kind of have this this aspiration, and and it's it's emphasized in more indie systems these days. But but to to start with some sort of established relationships between characters, but then allow those to evolve really naturally, right? So so you so you have this assumption, but then someone resolves that quest that stuck them with another person, and now all they have is that history of working with them, right? Yeah. And, and they know them as a person. I mean, um, and 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 I will agree with you and and disagree with what you've said represents Caleb's opinion that that I'm really not a fan of of just like coming in cold turkey uh because that's that's like moving into an apartment with three people you met on Craigslist like who knows maybe they're awesome maybe they're serial killers let's right. find out yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm sure in, in and, 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 unless you you brought two other characters Characters who have very different personalities, right? And you can just rip the one in half when they <laughs> abandon them in the tavern, right? Right. Then, I, sorry. I, no, no, no. I, I, was, I actually interrupted you. Um, I, I think that when it works well, it's probably very satisfying. I just think that the odds are against it working well. And I'm just a numbers guy, you know? I just, I'm not going to chase that inside straight unless there's like a lot of money in the pot. 
so, so, so Dirty Hammer Now has a question um, or a comment that says, uh, uh, suggests that chaotic neutral is a little problematic too, since they tend to keep treasures for themselves. Question mark. Well, and again, I, well, for me, that goes back again to session zero. And you know, this came up, I think, on Reddit or Facebook recently. Someone was talking about that one of the players is playing the thief and they always scout ahead and they keep all the loot. All the players obviously know what's happening, but the characters don't. And for me, that's just that's just a no. Like I just tell them, you can't do that. That's You're not going to play a character that would do that. You need to, at session zero, we're going to come up with a different character for you because I'm just not going to allow that. Again, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm projecting my sensibilities, but it solves so many problems. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm going to say something that will could potentially start a flame war, but um, chaotic neutral is the lamest BS um, <laughs> alignment ever because it's so noncommittal that mm-hmm. you it, it's it's the lazy way out. And I've always felt that way, even though I've played chaotic neutral characters in the past. Um, it's it's like, OK, well, I don't want to be I want to do evil stuff, but I don't want the ramifications of evil stuff where good people can do stuff, bad stuff to me. So mm-hmm. I, it's, it's really it's just kind of a I, I don't want to have to play a consistent character. I don't want to come up with an ethos and remember it between sessions or weeks. I just want to show up and do whatever randomly occurs to me, even when I'm half looking at my phone, half paying attention. Like I stab him in the face. What? He's the king. Like, ah. I'm, I'm, I'm chaotic neutral. I can do whatever yeah. I want. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason. There's a reason why they drill holes in people's heads when they're crazy. You know, back in those days, it's because you know they thought they had evil spirits. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're gonna act completely nuts. They're gonna drill a hole in your head. You know. I, I mean, we, uh, my my uh, like late high school group, uh, early college had uh, one guy, one member who who was basically the definition of chaotic evil. This was the guy you you'd go into a, like a room in a dungeon, and there was some huge, fantastical, terrifying machine actively doing some sort of terrifying machine thing, right? Stuff flying through cylinders and something. And uh, it's it's really just an aside, right? It was, it was like an empty room, and the, and the DM's like, I don't know, there's a fantastical machine in it, right? We're going to put some color in. And then, uh, obviously, uh, the guy who, who uh, whose picture is in the definition book of chaotic neutral is like, I break the machine. What happens? Right. Uh, uh, the room falls with lava, right? Yeah. Like something bad. Something bad, yeah. Right. <sighs> yeah, there's an old uh, Greyhawk adventure called the Doom Grinder, um, which is like a doomsday device that's uh, that has been like uh, uncovered. And the whole part of the whole adventure is you're trying to stop this doomsday device. And yeah, we had one of those wild cards who's trying to get it started. You know, how do we get this thing going? You know, and it's like, oh, come on. You know, so, but yeah, um, you chaotic neutral you know and uh trying to do things evil stuff and it's just a cop out to me so uh, whenever somebody says i'm gonna play chaotic neutral it's like come on pick something else yeah. how about we don't <laughs> nice. so, so anything else you would want to say regarding uh, evil campaigns or yours specifically eric um i <laughs> think that in retrospect i probably would have limited the number of actual Sith characters and made it more of a, like you said, like a, a, a thieves or, a, um, um, you know, kind of like a heist kind of thing, go in mm-hmm. and do it, have, have the, the Sith be, you know, maybe one Sith apprentice, but having more than one was just, it, it seemed like a little bit too much because then you had all of this internal politics and, and, you know, uh, trying to one up each other and trying to, you know, do, 
backstab and, and each that other. That wasn't what you wanted the game to be about. Not really, no. I mean, I, in a way, I kind of expected it. Um, but I mean, you're talking about Sith, but uh, you know, it was it was one of the things I I think potentially it could have went a lot further had mm-hmm. I gone for a more evil slanted neutral group rather than a full on you know hmm. crazy evil group. So it, it you know whatever. Take a drink. We're gonna say session zero because that solves all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump in with a new, sort of new topic, uh, just very quickly. Uh, one of our listeners a while back suggested that we do a section called New Books, where we take a question. We do questions at the end, but this is sort of a, a different focus, I guess. Uh, and so one of our patrons, uh, Neo Kami, who often joins us, I don't know if he is watching tonight or not, uh, was asking about how do you effectively share the spotlight when you're playing a more sandboxy game uh, where the characters have so much freedom to kind of do their own thing. And I'm going to read into that and extrapolate where the the people who are most vocal will probably get the most spotlight because they are most vocal. So, Scott, I'll start with you, Scott. Do you have any thoughts uh, for Neo Kami on effective ways to divvy the spotlight, you know, fairly uh, in that regard? I've... I've um... I've, I've come up with just like a couple of rough uh, tools where just, just doing uh, table stuff. Like uh, often I'll have, um, at least my, in my experience, this most commonly happens with the rogue who wants to sneak off and steal a thing, right? Because they have sneaking and stealing skills and they rarely get to use those during the game, right? And so uh, what, what I end up doing is, is I'll, um, I've, I've, I've learned to, Right, I mean the D and D has a lot of rules for for working in combat rounds, right? And 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 there's uh, there's often rules about like, oh, then you do something. Now I do something, right? Each room and each door, and that's what you do with a group. But, but I've I've learned that to to kind of uh, to really play with that time scale when when you're working with somebody else. Like if if they want to to show off and have a little bit of spotlight time and do their rogy thing, then I will just summarize a bunch of stuff, right? Like you will eventually find the secret hidden, like the secret chamber hidden in the middle of this warehouse and you have to get inside the warehouse and sneak past some guards and knock a couple unconscious and find the hollow nook, right, and then open it up and I will just say that all happened and then give them one kind of little scene or bit kind of kind of an aside, right? Like if, if this were a comic, right, it would be like a flashback scene and then you get a couple panels of a conversation at the end, right, when you're like getting the relic from the eye, right, and we find out like, oh man, I, I didn't like weight it down so now there's a giant ball chasing me right and then we'll just like swipe back and, and get back to the group so so they um still get you know a reward I'll, I'll give them a reward right and and some spotlight time but it doesn't end up consuming huge amount of time right. that's that's the first suggestion i have all right what about you eric um well i think that uh, I'm, first of all i love that idea the 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 concise you know just kind of like uh reader's digest version of what uh you know what the rogue found because a lot of times you're the the rogue you know most of your classes uh especially like in a D game are well represented in whatever you know whatever parts they're doing and the rogue sometimes feels a little left out like I'm not getting to steal anything. So, yeah, I, I like that where you're just like, okay, well, you find this and you kinda, it kind of, um, you know, it sates that appetite a little bit without ha- having to take away from the table time. Um, slightly different uh, wrinkle is something that I do. And, and um, when I run an investigative type game, um, like Call of Cthulhu, things like that, is 
you know, everybody wants to break off and start looking into this and looking into that. And that's, the, that's kind of the nature of that game. I've always found that, um, always have some sort of a backup of something to entertain the, the rest of the group. Uh, maybe some sort of tactile, you know, physical clue that they could go over and things like that. And then as one or two people want to look into something, I'll kick the rest of them out. I'll make them go, hey, go watch TV. Take this physical clue that you got. Go look at it. Go look at this letter. Figure it out, you know. Go in the other room. And then, then I can really focus on the, the people at the table and not have to worry about chitter chatter and, and the people getting bored on the other side. And they can go to the bathroom. They can go get snacks or whatever they need to do. Limit it to about maybe 10, 15 minutes and then bring them back in. So that way the people and then, you know, rotate that. Uh, it, it's heavily dependent on your play space, right? You can't just do that if you're doing, you know, if you're in a, a one room shack, you know, and it's, and it's snowing outside, but, um, you know, if you're in a game shop or something like that, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to go look at. Hey, you guys step off. I'm going to focus on these guys for a little bit. Uh, I found that um, that works for two reasons. It narrows the focus of who I need to be focusing on. Um, and it gives people good face time. But also, when the, the group comes back, they're totally focused on what you're doing because they want to know what happened. They're like, oh, what happened? What happened? You know, they get back together. They got it. You know, then the the players themselves are conversing amongst themselves of this is what we found, hmm. rather than the game master going, well, you know, you guys just heard all that, so let's move on. It it actually lets the game master sit back and kind of because everybody perceives things differently, and maybe there was a a, a detail that you just threw in as an an innocuous detail or something like that that it really latched onto, and you can go, hmm, I might need to, you know pump that up a little bit, you know? So I found that, that, um, in a sandbox, uh, investigative game, that that's something that I like to do. So for me, I, I am not a fan of breaking up the table. Uh, but again, I've just never had a good experience with it as a player, as a DM, maybe just lack of my skill at handling that. Uh, but I'm, I'm more of a fan of keeping everybody at the table, letting them kind of participate either just as the audience or maybe jumping in as a, an NPC or even asking them, this guy's trying to break into a warehouse. Wh- who's guarding it? Where are they? You know, what kind of defense is like so that they're kind of involved. Uh, but the number one thing that I, I normally would do and this, I'm going to change it a little bit because I've actually just been re- recently reading a book of the masks role playing game. Um, and, and it has some advice in it that I think is kind of interesting. But normally what I would do is I would just go around the table and ask, okay, you know, we, we get to town, everybody wants to break up, I go around the table, what do you want to do, what do you want to do, what do you want to do? And then I try to group them together in natural groups, like, okay, both of you want to go shopping, okay, that's boring, so, okay, you go shop, tell me what you bought, it costs what it costs in the book, you want to go research a book, okay, roll me one roll and we'll figure that out, you want to do the thing that's interesting, we're going to do what you want, you know, that type of thing. And I'll try to jump around a little bit. But, you know, if you're going to do something that, quote, unquote, is boring, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, and we'll try to jump around, give you a little bit of scene time so that you don't know that I think it's boring, but it's pretty boring. Uh, but the thing that, that Mask talks about, which I think is interesting, is that when it goes into combat, it says keep it like a comic book where you don't go round to round to round to round to round. A comic book will stay with one character or one group of characters for three or four panels, maybe a couple pages to show their fight until it gets to an interesting place. And then it'll go back and you'll see what the other people are doing at the same time or like an alternate objective. 
And I, I don't know if that would work in D and D because it's too structured. This is you know a Power by the Apocalypse game, a little bit more loosey goosey. But I think that could work in sandboxy too. Is like okay, we're gonna stay with you for ten minutes, and we're gonna go with you for ten minutes, and then we'll go with you for ten minutes, and then you just kind of bounce around. Because I'm usually we'll try to cut back and forth quickly, you know, like kind of get to like a dramatic place. But you know, it's basically making me think maybe you just take that scene to its conclusion, and then you do another scene. So I I don't know. Hmm. Um, That's that's interesting. I mean, I've, I feel like uh, one, one of my best skills at, at dealing with large groups who want to separate into smaller groups is is being able to do those MTV cuts and just switch back and forth really quick. Like the second you need to look at a rule book, the second you stare at your character sheet and go, um, right, well, then, then the context is switching. And you can do um for two minutes while these guys, like, have something dramatic and interesting happen, right? And then we will switch back, right? Then you'll be like, oh, I know what I'm doing, right? right? Um, but, but so, say, so yeah, I, I try to do the opposite, but. You know that um, that's a very interesting thought, and you were saying how you know I don't think it would work for D and D, but um, I think that would be an interesting way to run combat in Shadowrun. Think about it: you've got somebody who can do three actions in less than three seconds. Do all three of their actions. Don't just do one action. One action, one action, do all three. Or if you, you know, and Shadowrunners, they love to break off, like you said, into little groups and do their, do their specialties. Let them do it. It would be a little bit harder for the game master to, with your time management and your time tracking. But, you know, you'd have to have a pretty good grasp on what's been going on. So that way, you know, you've got the samurai is come, he kicks in the door and he shoots three guys. Let him shoot all three guys. Cause I mean, in a movie, that's what you're going to see. You're not going to see him go boom and then somebody else go spell and then somebody else do this. It's going to be brow, brow, brow. You know, Neo's going to do his flip and he's going to shoot three guys as this is all happening, right? So I like that idea. And, uh, no, go ahead. Well, I was, was going to slightly change topics. So. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> all right. So uh, maybe this is a good time to bring up uh, my, my most recent hobby horse system, Wushu. Uh, because I feel like, um, you know, Wushu has, uh, right, the, 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 a, a very describing mechanic for, for, I don't know, Eric, have you played the system? Mm-mm, no, well, I've, uh, heard, I've you, heard about it, but I've never actually played it. For you, certainly, and for the folks at home, uh, the, the mechanic is uh, you have a die limit in, in a scene. You can only roll up to five dice, uh, each person per round, and then everyone gets to go again. And and what you do is you earn a die for every detail you add. You just describe anything, right? Like, like guy, I spin around the room wielding you know my arms and then i shoot 27 ninjas in the face and then i pole vault over the enemy and then i pick up you know so you have four or five dice and um it's, it's interesting that the scene mechanic of the of, of of the dice limit right uh really the purpose of that is is to decide whether you want to like have a really high dice limit for a scene and let everyone really embellish and, and go on and on and really do their comic book scenes before you transition on to the next player uh, versus a really low die limit, just get people to be like, I shoot three guys, right? And, and, and then I go, ha, 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 and there's my two dice, right? And everyone just go around real quick, and you can have a real quick, punchy kind of combat versus a long, embellished combat. And it's it's um, neat to me to be talking about things and then see that mechanic expressed uh, in the system, but, but we've kind of been talking about it and looting up to it with, with systems that don't support that mechanically. So just to take it quickly back to, to D&D, I, I think I've actually done this before in situations where the combats are, are basically segregated. They're far enough away from each other that they're not going to interfere. 
the reason I wouldn't want to do that in traditional combat is that the ogre that you're fighting may already be dead because the wizard got a magic missile, and I don't want to have to undo what we did for that reason. But if they're not in the same room, if they're far enough apart, then I think it does make sense to stay with a battle four or five rounds until it gets to an interesting point, and then switch into another one. It just I I don't know that would work well if everybody's actively in the same area for that reason. Uh, but it might be something worth playing with, trying it. I mean, just to see kind of how it goes and, uh, you know, give it a shot, I guess. Um, so I'm gonna, I have a different question. This one didn't come from any uh, any of our listeners, but I was listening to a podcast today and it got me thinking. I thought I would poll the group here. So let's say that you both are players in a game and you are trapped somewhere. I'm going to use an island as an example just because it makes a very clean uh, example to work from. But you're, you're trapped somewhere. And part of the game is that you cannot leave. It is impossible for you to leave the situation just because of the story that you're not fully aware of yet. But you probably kind of know that. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of hinted at by the, by the game master, by the story that, you know, you have to do a thing here before you can move on. Would you rather... The, 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 the title of the game is Cast Away. Or, You're like, oh, I'm probably just not going to get off the island in the first twenty minutes. Or so. like lost, you know. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to like see, you know, slyly. It, it that, Gilligan's Island. Yeah, exactly. You, you're probably, you're probably not going to. You know island. how that episode's going to end. So, so would you, as players, prefer that the DM dangle some false hope as far as like maybe there's a ship and you get on the ship, but then the ship can't get away from the islands. Like something else happens. They run into a force field or there's a hole in the boat. So it's going to sink. So you have to come back. Or would you rather the DM just say, guys, you can't get off the island. Because if you, if you play it out, there's the fun of ex- exploration. But ultimately, everyone knows that you're not actually getting off the island. So it kind of turns into wasted time. Well, but I, I think it, it goes to what's the point of the game, right? Is the point of, of the, the game and our time with it to struggle against the inevitable, right? Like like to try to leave the island and maybe there's, it's, it's like uh, killing the Terrasque, right? Like, like uh, the, the point is I'm going to put this huge thing and you're not going to win, right? But the point is to try because you're not going to win, but there is a chance that, but you're not going to win, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, if, if that's the point, then, then yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, we, we, uh, I would believe in struggling. But if, if, if the point is, is really uh, for us to, to you know, have a have a dating sim between uh, you know the professor and Marianne, right? And and, and we're really going to explore their relationship as it evolves. You might mention the escapes as a backstory for how that that evolves, but otherwise, I mean, I, I don't think I'd dwell on it. Yeah, I think it depends on the purpose. All right, what about you, Eric? Uh, well, yeah, I think that obviously it depends on on the the scope of the game and, and whatnot. Uh, I'm a firm believer in whatever the game master adds as. Uh, you know, whatever they, any kind of detail that they add is going to have weight. So if you say there's a boat out there, you know, if you, if, if you know anything about, uh, about writing or anything like that, you're not going to put something out there unless it should probably be used. So if you don't want the players to try and use the boat to get out, then don't put it there because they're going to. Because that's that's the, you know you you could have an entire campaign set up uh, around this island and you put a boat out out there that they could probably get to. They're gonna forego everything else that you're trying to do to try and get that stupid boat running, yep. right? Um, 
and uh, to kind of give you a little example, a friend of mine ran a game um, once and he threw in a, just a, he, in the back of his mind, he was like, how would these people in this area be smuggling stuff out, you know, contraband out? And he came up with this idea that they were hiding the contraband in a wheel of cheese and they were, they were, they it was a fantasy game. So the, the wheel of cheese was being used to transport because you get the big, huge wheels of cheese. And it was just a minor detail he threw out there. And we spent probably four game sessions trying to come up with different ways to use wheels of cheese to smuggle this and smuggle that. And it had nothing to do with the story he was telling. And and so at, after all of that was said and done, he, he says, you know, the bane of my existence is this stupid wheel of yep. cheese. And I said, then don't put stuff like that in there. And he goes, it was just a detail that I thought sometimes you got to come out and, and just grab the players by the ears and go, this is not important. Stop it. Yep. You know, and some, yes, it, it, it shatters the illusion. But I mean, adult gamers don't have an infinite amount of time to play. And if you're, if they go four days and they realize that that boat is going nowhere after all the things that they've been through, it's like, man, you just wasted my time. What are we doing? Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I fall down on the on the topic. Like, if there's something to be learned from the ship, for example, so like we say, whatever the the force that pushes us back, if that tells me something that could be important to the game, like we were stopped by an ice storm and weather control or something is part of what we find later okay if there's a hole in the boat and we find out there's a traitor amongst us okay that's different but if it's not in any way connected to the story but it's just a dangling you know a detail that to make it feel like you know there's an island of course there's a boat but you guys can't leave i think i would rather the dm just say guys just don't the boat's not it's a dead well, end. I, I feel like an important detail here is that I mean, uh, fundamentally, players need to be rewarded for their time investment, right? P- players are rewarded for their time. And and that doesn't mean that they get what they want, right? That doesn't mean that they get what they set out to do, right? But but uh, the investment in the boat needs to pay off in some dividends. You have to discover a secret about the boat, discover a secret about the force that's keeping you, right? Um, uh, get something else that will be of use. Uh, you know, there, there are a thousand and one things that could happen out of this profitable work for the boat, even just gaining a relationship and building a, a like cohesion in the group, learning secrets about each other that's... Um, I mean, don't boil down to like, well, stop playing with the boat, right? If 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 you can create a reward structure out of that that, that doesn't destabilize uh, your gameplay, then I, I think you're still going to have a successful game. All right. Right. And then uh, the last one, just because if anybody's been following me on Twitter today, I, I threw out a couple questions, and one of them got some interesting feedback going on uh, regarding a beholder. Uh, and I have not – I've tried my best not to weigh in on what I think, but I just put out the poll I did on Twitter, D+, and Facebook. Would you as the DM allow a player to use a mirror to try to reflect an I-beam attack from a beholder? So I put yes, because it's cool. Yes, but only if the mirror is magical in some way. Yes, but only if X is true and X is whatever particular thing that you would make true in your game. Or no. Um, Interestingly to me, I think on Facebook, no was like 45, almost 48% of the responses. On um, both G Plus and Twitter, it's like 8%. Like G Plus and Twitter, everyone's like, yeah, it's awesome. Let's do it. And the Facebook group is all like, that's eh, against the rules. I don't think I'd, you know, I, and again, I don't know if there's anything to that or not. But the question is to you, my friends. So, Eric, I'll start with you. 
would you allow a player to just say, hey, I got a mirror and try to like bing, reflect a beam back at a beholder or just cause it to miss, not necessarily reflect back? Um, yes, I would let them do that. Uh, I would absolutely let them do that. And but there is uh, there's a catch. Because you're, what you're trying to do, unless you unless you had the forethought to bring like a full body mirror into a dungeon, which if you bring if you're toting around a full body mirror, I'll let you do it right away. Um, but if if it's one of those hand mirrors that you get like in the player's handbook, you know, or what you know, uh, you know, little silver mirror or something like that, go for it. But you're gonna have it's a beam of light coming at you. You're going to have to either make a you know a reflex check, or you're going to have to actually actively intercept this, or it will melt your hand off. <laughs> I like that. All right, all right, well, you got any anything you'd add or change to what Eric said? Uh, I, I, I as, as as a game master, I, I I really try to repeat to myself that that all combat encounters can also be puzzles, and all puzzles can also be combat encounters. Right? You can just beat that door down. Given enough wax, it will eventually come down, right? And um, you can talk your way out of confronting the guards, even when they're they've been charged to arrest you, right? So, uh, I, I mean, I, I think narratively, if if uh, um, I think in, if, if this is a single time encounter, right? And and uh, I would like to think that I could still have an interesting game, even if if uh, mm. players got an instant win and defeated this beholder by bringing a mirror and having a funny idea. Um, I may not succeed in that because I'm not a perfect DM, but I'd like to think that I could. All right. So for for me, the answer is is very complicated. It basically comes down to depends. There's a lot of factors. So like if if the characters know that they're going to face a beholder, and a player's like, "Hey, I know. Let's all bring mirrors." I probably would be less likely to let that work. I'd be like, "That ain't going to work. You're going to get murdered." But if in the in the heat of the moment, like you know, it's like a desperate act, and someone's like, "The paladin's down," but he always talks about polishing his shield. Can I raise it up and deflect that eye beam? I'm more likely to go, yeah, that's... I've got this hand beer on my equipment sheet. I've had it there the whole yeah, time. I don't know why I rolled it. Like, <laughs> so I'm much more likely to use it if, it's, if it feels like a, uh, an organic spur of the moment, last-ditch, super-heroic thing that I am if someone's like, I know, we can just defeat the beholder by ingenuity. I don't know why, but for me, I would be much more likely to let one work than the other. Let it be known that, that Professor Fluff punishes planning. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. Now, now, if the planning was to find out like what type of beholder it was, what its name was, you know, does he like chocolates? Then, yeah, if you were going to bring up like a that's, whole box, of that's not planning. That's legwork. Oh well, yes. <laughs> then, uh, then I, I would probably you know come up with something fun and interesting there. But I don't know. But just uh, I, I like the idea, and uh, I'll quote James D'Amato from One Shot. He had one of the best uh, replies. I think he said that I would let a fighter with a polished sword and a ready to action, hit it like a goddamn baseball every time. <laughs> See, I have a total vision of like when you're talking about, oh, and we'll, we'll walk in with, uh, with mirror armor and, you know, and I can totally see this like beam like refracting off of all of these different people becoming like this elaborate web, this death web, you know? Yeah. Well, and that was the thing that a lot of people, particularly on Facebook, kept saying like, well, if you can do that, then like, wouldn't everyone do that? And like, you know, aren't most beholder spell eye stocks just like as in spells? So 
then you're saying that any wizard can have their spells deflected with a mirror. And then if they can do that, then wouldn't a beholder line their lair with mirrors because then they could just shoot and kill every like. So they like they really were taking it like to the next levels, which is fine. But I don't know. I just I, in the in the heat of the moment, I I would be like, that's awesome. Let's roll with that. So, all right. So we're moving on. Uh, we're going to move into our most popular segment. Where have my fingers been? This is probably another new one that Eric doesn't know. It's a improv <laughs> it's game. Another improv exercise. Yep. Okay. Uh, you have two fingers. You can bring in more fingers if you try it like uh, Scott does. I'm not good enough to do that. Uh, and you're gonna we're gonna create a scene. So we'll give you a prompt, kind of like in Ten Things, and you have to have a scene between your two fingers. Okay. So Scott. Yes. You or your fingers are in a tavern. Planning a heist against a beholder, trying to come up with a good plan. So, Phyllis. Yes? I've been thinking the mirror shop down the street has a sale. Yes? And I believe if we acquire mirrors, yes, we can convince Wally the beholder that we're just mirror salesmen. Yes? And then he will let us into his lair. And not eat us. No, no. What, why? Why? Why is this not a good idea? <laughs> well, why don't we just sell him the mirrors then? I mean, why are we really invading his lair anyway? Well, I mean, he's a beholder, isn't it? Our responsibility is heroic adventure. No, I've been questioning our purpose here. I don't know that adventuring as a tacit goal is really all that justified in our modern society. As a being with an intelligence higher than six, and speaking languages, I believe that Beholder has as many rights as we do. Oh, that's really confusing to me as the barbarian. Look, do you just want to go become a mirror salesman? All right. <laughs> and that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, All right. So uh, we'll just kind of go where you can ask me and we'll let Eric go last. We'll, we'll figure out something for him. I don't want to go in a circle. I, I can ask Eric. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Eric. So you uh, start with where have my fingers been? I said where have my fingers been? Yeah, which I didn't. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of sing the song, and then uh, you stick up your fingers, and and uh, your fingers uh, have been at the um, uh, climbing the tallest mountain in the world. Okay, Bill, it's awful cold up here. Bill. <laughs> Your fingers are bent. Oh, good job. Yeah. <laughs> good. Succinct. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. You stole my bed. I always just end my scene in the middle for no reason. <laughs> mm-hmm, All right. Mm-hmm. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers mm-hmm. been? All right. Uh, Michael, your fingers are uh, locked in the the vault that they were trying to rob well isn't this just a fine mess harriet what what do you i didn't do this it was your your plan to come in here and steal the stuff from hey yeah yeah, okay i remember clearly we were on the couch watching gilmore girls and you're like hey why don't we go steal all that stuff from that vault and i'm like what and you're like yeah i'm like i don't i don't what are you talking about and now 
and that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> <laughs> that's where your fingers have been. That's where my fingers have been. All right. So we will uh, wrap up tonight with our, well, not quite wrap up, our cryptozoology. This is where we take a monster, primarily from Dungeons and Dragons and primarily from D&D 5th edition, and we talk about it, ways we have used it in the past, ways we may have used it in the future. And Eric, you selected the Mind Flayer for tonight's discussion. So hit me up with some Mind Flayer knowledge, man. Well, um, the Mind Flayer has always been one of those, uh, you know, iconic D&D monsters. And uh, lately, I've really been uh, kind of kicking around some ideas. And a friend of mine, actually, uh, we had a, a conversation and it, a completely organic conversation um, where he brought up the movie uh, uh, I Come in Peace, which uh, I'm not giving anything away if you if, if you haven't seen that. But uh, essentially, it's a, um, a an alien that's using human uh biochemistry yes to uh it's like a he's a he's a drug dealer and an interstellar drug dealer and that conversation turned to mind flayers and so ever since then i've been kicking around different ideas about why mind flayers do what they do and what would you know if, if mind flayers are eating their primary diet is brains and what if, you know, the old what if uh, to get things started is what if it's, it's not just, you know, the protein sustenance or whatever, you know, the glucose or whatever they're eating, but also what if they fed off of neurotransmitters, um, you know, like serotonins and, and, and endorphins and things like that. Um, you could really have um, a section or like a subsection of mind flare um, culture that don't necessarily kill their victims, but drain them of all of these different, almost like a vampire would keep around a blood doll to use a, a World of Warcraft idea, or not World of War, uh, World of Darkness idea. Um, you know, keep around like a, 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 a group or a, like a, a, a gaggle of, of these different people who ha- are strong in these, these different, you know, neurotransmitters and, and how debased and, and just um, different that would be um, to, to run an adventure where the characters are, they start as this, in this farm and have no clue how they even got there. So I'm just a dopamine dope. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, so that's interesting. Yeah, so that was that that got me really looking into the mind flare and you know that traditionally the mind flare is going to use its psychic blast and 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 do these other things but I think that to me they make so much more sense to be the almost kind of like a a manipulating behind the scenes kind of a creature. Oh yeah. Yeah, and pretty much all the ways I've ever used them or seen or heard them being used they're always the master behind the schemes, you know, the the figure in the darkness. I, I I don't know that I've ever ran a game where the players directly fought against a mind flayer. I, I think my favorite thing about mind flayers is is that they're the next level of, of horrible and terrifying, right? That 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 the thing that go bump in the night are like drow, right? It's like slaving evil race, right? But the thing that goes bump in the drow's night 
are mind flayers, right? Yeah. That the, <laughs> the reason they have to arm themselves and, and, and support their society is to repel the, like mind flayer society from, from coming up. So, so I've, I've, I've always enjoyed that. I, I think, uh, you know, as regards like alternative interpretations, uh, certainly that's, that's uh, always a great exercise of any monster. And I think my best alternative interpretation of a mind flayer was, was a comedic one. We, uh, in Lawful and Orderly, our Monday night show, we ran into a, uh, a chef uh, who went by the name of Bobby Filet. And uh, he was obviously a mind flayer, and that was, that was good for a couple of cheap jokes. And it was a good time. So, I, do, I really like the idea, um, to kind of build off what you were talking about, Eric, where the mind flayers don't just eat the meat, but, you know, whether it be the, the serotonin, but what if they eat memories? You know, yeah. it would be some way yeah. for the mind flayer to, you know, maybe even maybe keep the victim alive, but extract information. And then that person, their memory was eaten. So they don't know they were attacked by a mind flayer because that memory is gone as well. All they know is that they now can't remember where they were at last Tuesday or they don't remember their their contact or, or what happened to the gold they were giving. Uh, and that kind of turns the mind flayer away from their history. But if you take that ability I could I could see a lot of interesting encounters and, and developing from that. Uh, and then to, to build on that, what you're talking about, where they start in the farm, maybe there's almost like a giant vat where all of these memories are collected and then they're siphoned off. And that's where the player characters, like there's like a backup and they get flooded with memories. And that explains like now they're a fighter. They, they weren't a fighter before, but now they have all the memories of a fighter or a barbarian or a wizard. And that's how they can then break out of their uh, cells and start the game as whatever class they were. Their personality is basically, it's like a dollhouse. It's nothing until they get these memories that are absorbed. You know, and then you could build off of that. Do they want to try to get their own memories back? Or you just ignore that and, you know, off to adventure sort of thing. Yeah, that's, I like that idea. Um, I Or do it where, uh, you know, Maybe these the the characters you know, have had level drain and they don't they don't remember who they are or where they even you know so they're starting off as level one but they could have potentially been much higher level and they come upon this you know this storehouse of memories and things like that I would make it a lot more you know in myself I would make it a lot more Machiavellian and they'd have to jam something in their head or something to to download these memories but you know but maybe they download the wrong ones you know yeah now they think you know now they think that they're this this you know ice sorceress you know or whatever you know it could you could really play with a lot of interesting things or maybe make it so that way it you know uh one of the things that i was i I like the the memory thing because one of the other things that i thought was that mind flayers must have a natural aversion to memory moss and um (laughs) that you could totally throw that in there too and have you know have have these stored memories, and then have memories sucked away, and you'd have to like replenish them. Yeah, there, there are a lot of fun places you can take that. In, in addition, to, like, what does it mean about uh, mind flayer culture? Right? Do you, do you actually start to empathize with them as as beings who can't create memories themselves, or have no authentic emotions? They only get it vicariously. You know, like like they're just super deadpan neutral, and they can just drink little like serotonin and dopamine and feel joy and sorrow and like experience right. what it is to be a real feeling being, and otherwise they're just like 
working at the DMV all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, oh, I, I don't mind them flaying my mind as much. This is really it's sad. My, uh, my wife watches. You ever think of their feelings? The show uh, I Zombie. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. One. <sighs> uh, and then maybe the mind flayers takes on the personality of mm-hmm. the peop- the person that's eaten most recently, or you play with that in some way or another. Uh, you know that maybe if they eat someone who's very compliant, then maybe you have a better chance of negotiating with them, or or something. If they you know, eat someone who's violent, feed them slaves, <laughs> then we can negotiate. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my thought. Yeah. Is that does that become a strategy of who can we feed them? <laughs> of- to our advantage. And now we're back to the evil party. <laughs> yes. that's, that's where we... Yes. Now we're back to the, no, the druid taking the paladin for a sacri- walk while we negotiate with the mind flares. So well, no, you have the heroic <laughs> sacrifice. Sacri- the lawful good paladin's like, maybe my brain will overwhelm the mind flare Let him eat it. and turn them good, and then you start playing the that's mind right. flare as the paladin. I but give true, myself all, up all as, eat. as tribute, right? Yeah. <laughs> all, all they eat is drow and druger. I mean, they they just they just have a diet of all evil. No yeah. wonder they're evil. That's right. They need to change. Don't their you ever diet. sympathize with with what their diet's been? Come on, people. <laughs> they're a product of their environment. Nature versus nurture. Okay. You are what you eat. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. The title of this episode: Mind Flayers. They are what they eat. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm I have a half formed idea for a T-shirt. It's a mind flayer with like a party hat or like a clown nose. <laughs> Some some very clearly iconic imagery that says you are what you eat. <laughs> Tentacle face, knife, fork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in fifth edition, uh, the mind flares are found on page two twenty one and two twenty two of the five e book. Um, they're a challenge rating seven. They got magic resistance and a spell casting, and then they can use their tentacles, extract the brain, or do a mind blast. So. You know, this write-up is it's kind of just uh, kind of blasé, to be honest with you. I think in Bolo's God, they get a much better write-up and more of that Machiavellian, mm-hmm. you know, they are the power behind the throne type of thing. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it would be an interesting... I, I like the idea of the memories. Like, I, I, I think that's something that will probably show up in a game fairly soon because I, I really like that a lot. Dirty Carbonero suggests uh, that that a flare lich is uh, just CR twenty <laughs> two. Just saying, I, I like where his head is at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, you know, make something better. Some templates, <laughs> right? Is make make them undead? Yes, yes. <laughs> that always works out well for everyone. <laughs> All right, so we will uh, we will wrap up as we always do with a question and answer. So it looks like Dirty Heaven Arrow may be our only active uh, watcher tonight, but uh, uh, we also have a sprocketeer on. Oh, currently. well, hello. Um, so we'll wait a couple seconds because I know there's a bit of a delay. Um, if you guys have any questions that you would like for us to tackle here before we sign off, um, so while we're waiting, I actually I, I will apologize. I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, but uh, the RPG Academy Network has grown. We have added a new member as of today, Mike Bridges, known as uh, Mortellan on the interwebs. He runs a website called greyhawkery.blogspot.com. He is a bastion of all things Greyhawk, as well as an artist and a cartographer. And uh, Mike, who also Eric knows well, was part of the Gamers Table crew, uh, has joined the network. So welcome, Michael, because we need to Yay! Uh, that's 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 why we uh, always suggest that if you ever have any complaints, 
address them to Michael at the RPGAcademy.com and just carbon copy all Michaels. Yes, all Michaels sure. at the RPG Academy. That's right. The Michaels. The Michael. That's right. It's like the Caleb G and the RPG Academy. It's the Michaels at the RPG. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They're the only ones. All right. So any questions? Uh, we have, uh, I have no questions I can remember tonight. I'm just glad to listen in and get ideas from you guys. Uh, Dirty Hammer now does point out that the Flayer Lich uh, is fully statted out in Bolo's Guide. Oh. If anybody's looking for that that extra notch up, uh, both for Flayers and for Liches, uh, if, if you want the, the monster that other Mind Flayers are afraid of, except no substitute, but the Flayer Lich. Mind yeah. Flitch? <laughs> Sounds dirty. Flitch. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like uh, in like Flint or uh, Fletch. Fletch. I mean, Fletch two Lich. great movies. Yes. So, th- so now in like Flint, Fletch. Chevy Chase with. Can I borrow your towel? I had a water run a little outside. Good. Good times. Yeah. All right. All right. So if there's no questions, we will go ahead and close things up. Thank you to everyone who is watching along tonight. Thank you to anyone who's listening in the future. Eric, thank you so much for joining us in our little reindeer game. Scott, thank you as always. Uh, and uh, this has been Michael. And Scott. And Eric. And we will see you next time. Uh, Bye, all you little with liches. Awkward wave out. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.